Welcome everybody to another episode on Back Pass with Ras with your host Ras and uh, wow man we had two false starts due to a technological fault <laughs> technological and, failure yeah <laughs> and uh, so because of that we've got a delayed release of this episode joining me on the show as usual we have our resident young man Kelvin how are you i heard you a bit unwell Yeah, just uh, down with cough and flu, but uh, you know nothing will stop me getting on here, man. This is the one thing I look forward to. I was actually quite sad that it got delayed. Actually, <laughs> uh, my bad, my bad. And, and you want to comment on my excellent work on my hair today? Yeah, well done to get it. Thank you. The, I call this the side spike. The three five. The side you know, spike. Four five strands. You got side spike. <laughs> All right, guys. Uh, so Kelvin, today we are meeting the dawn. Man, Don Darwin, formerly known as Darwin Jalil. Hi guys, uh, thanks for having me on the show, Ras and uh, Kelvin. Uh, it's an honor to be on the show to speak to you guys. Hey Darwin, so, it's an honor having you there, here. There's bro. a build, there's a build up there, Darwin, for you. I <laughs> build up for you. <laughs> Anyways, for for those who do not know, Darwin is the deputy chairman of the Singapore Premier League club Balestier Kalsa. And the Football Association of Singapore Council member. He's also a former schoolmate and polymate of mine. So yes, Darwin. How- yeah, we go a long, long way back. Yeah, very long, <laughs> very, very long. Darwin, you are lucky he didn't wear his St Andrews uh, jersey today or something like that. <laughs> I would have loved to see that. <laughs> yeah, it would have been brilliant, right? But um, I have another show after this. So that's <laughs> I'm here, you know, dressed in this. Hey, 394, 90, Manchester yeah, United top. Good times, good times. So yeah, Darwin. Um, this show, the first part of it, we'll be talking about retro football. So football from the 90s and 2000s, which is around where we got to know of each other as well. Yeah. First section, we're gonna speak to you as Darwin, the fan. And um, actually, those of you listening in, I'm not sure how many know this, but Darwin is a diehard Manchester United fan. Which year do you start supporting them, Darwin? I come from a family background of Liverpool fans, so oh, no. for me, yeah, I I grew the love for uh, for United. Uh, it goes way back in late '92, yeah. Why Manchester United? You could have been a Liverpool fan, right? <laughs> so basically, what 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 actually uh, made me fell in love with United is on uh, 26 of November '92 when they signed Eric Cantona from uh, Leeds, you know, for 1.2 million. Um, a player of such great character uh, when he was playing for Leeds, his charisma, you know, and uh, his allure on the pitch was uh, matchmaking in heaven uh, for the Red Devils. Then, um, yeah, so basically uh, his debut, if I'm not wrong, uh, was on the 6th of December against uh, Man City, yeah, where United 1-2-1. was a bit underwhelming, but after that, the 1-1 draw against Chelsea 13 days later on Boxing Day, um, I mean, and a goal against uh, Sheffield Wednesday on Boxing Day, yeah. yeah, was the start of my love for United lah in '92. Yeah, okay, that's about the same time I started in '91, the season before. So I know about Cantona at Leeds because yeah. he was the one of the protagonists of the Leeds team that won the whole first division title, the last ever first division title, and beat United to that title. United were leading yep. in that season, and they lost it. You could say they choked and lost that title. <laughs> And it made a difference because that season 92-93 we didn't start too well as well, and uh, yep. and he made a big difference. Right. 
as, as, as you say, the rest is history. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've heard our shows before, but we did mm-hmm. do an episode looking at the three great teams created by Sir Alex, 1994, 1999, and 2008. Mm-hmm. Manchester United team was special for you. And it could be any of the teams outside of these three. And tell us why as well. I mean, basically, 94 was a special team because of Eric. Uh, Cantona, but I would have to go with the 99 team lah, basically so the the balance the flair of the team is second to none and there are many memorable greats that played for the team you know the boys from the class of 92 you've got uh, Peter Schmeichel you've got Dwight York you've got Andy Cole uh, Sheringham Roy Keane and of course uh, the just departed manager Ole you know and that magical night in Newcomb the goals in 91 plus 1 and 91 plus 3 is something that I will remember for the rest of my life lah And of course, not forgetting one point league win over Arsenal at that particular yeah. season. And in that season, also winning 8-1 away against Nottingham Forest. And with uh, York finishing the season as joint top scorer. You know, these are, are, are what made that particular 1999 team memorable and one of the great teams for me. Okay, just going back to that 1999 season. Okay, we both were in school at that time, 15 years old, secondary mm-hmm. What were your memories on that day? Because that match was, you know, early in the morning, right? And then after that, we had school to go to. Yeah. So you mean the the Champions League final? Yes. Uh, I almost, I mean, to be honest, and at about maybe 85th minute, I almost gave up. I wanted to off the TV, <laughs> to, be, to be honest. But I I just felt that, you know, something was coming and and and, and I think it was going to be... Uh, I mean, they they were they were basically not on the back foot. They were still pushing, but I thought you know all hopes almost lost. Uh, but I just you know hang on to watch and continue to support the team. And to my surprise, in in extra time, things. I mean, when the goal went in at 90 plus one, it was it was a different uh, hope altogether. You know, and you know that the team is going to push all out to to go for the win, and at the very least is for the match to go into penalties. Yeah. Yeah, true, true. Even I did not expect that two goals in injury time because uh, we didn't play really well in, on on that day and uh, Bayern had quite a few chances to finish it off but they didn't take it and then that two goals went in and I was like, oh, believe I, I think Michael, Michael played pretty well that game. Yeah. yeah. He, Michael he, played pretty well. He shut out the goal pretty yeah. much, you know, most of it. And I think that was one of the, the key points of the game led to United victory. Yeah, his final for Manchester United as well. Mm. So, despite all the success Manchester United achieved in the 1990s and 2000s, which trophy do you feel regret about missing out as a fan? Uh, I think for me, it has to be, I think, uh, the Champions League Rome final in in 2009, uh, where we lost 2-0 to Barcelona. That would have given us back-to-back Champions League titles, having win it against Chelsea in uh, 2008. Uh, I felt that was a bit of a waste, lah. Yeah. What could have been done differently? Do you think for that final? I think it was it was on in a case where um, moving up. I mean, the prelude to the finals in the semis and all that they played pretty well. I think they got a bit overwhelmed in the final, uh, and Barcelona had a better game, better possession, and all that. And even despite that, we were still attacking. But I think luck was not on on United side on that night. I, I think Alex Ferguson said that uh, uh, Barcelona was pretty much unplayable that night. Yeah. Yeah, I think he he came out to say it. You know, that's crazy, <laughs> yeah, crazy good team as well. Right. Barcelona. So imagine someone like Sir Alex who who have so much success uh, felt that you know uh, Barcelona was one class above. Yeah. So that's yeah. it's a different level, lah. Uh. 
That, that was the start of that Barcelona glory era. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, correct. But yes, I think personally, I felt probably the first few minutes, we had few chances, half chances here and there. We were running them close. If we had taken one of those chances, I think the game would have changed. But, you know, this yep, is yep. buts right now. Well, 10 years ago, man. Yeah. <laughs> your, okay, your favourite Manchester United player of all time. That's it. That's easy. He has to be Eric Cantona, you know, for his uh, larger-than-life personality. Someone who who made me... Uh, I mean, Raz, you know, my, my first love was rugby. Yeah. And uh, for someone like him to draw me into the game and uh, became a fan ever since. Okay, I'll give you a second choice. Who do you have a second choice? The second, I mean, if for recent times, of course, he will have to be Ronaldo, lah, you know, for, mm. for... I mean... While other people see him as a finished product, we, we live through a times where he came as a youngster, scrawny little bugger, playing a friendly game for uh, for Sporting Lisbon against United, and then went on to don the red jersey, and then again improve himself and 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 led the club to to success. You know, so for me, he he came a long way, and that was the start of his stardom, and uh, no better club to do it than at United. Okay, moving on from club football to international football. You're a fan of Germany. Mm-hmm. You start becoming a fan. What age and why? Okay, so basically, I I, I became I come from a family of of, of uh, sportsmen. Uh, so uh, always on TV, it's either gonna be Malaysia Cup or European football or English football. So uh, when I was twelve, uh, it was Euro '96 in England, yeah. uh, and it was on my. 12th birthday actually on the 9th of June where Germany kicked off the group stage and winning 2-0 against uh, Czech Republic yeah. yeah so that was the game where Ziegler Moller scored uh, in the game mm-hmm. and uh, in the second game was uh, where my all-time favourite German player Jürgen Klinsmann scored two goals against Russia mm-hmm. in a 3-0 win yeah so that gave me a, a stamp of approval as a German fan and uh, yeah so basically why Germany uh, is because of the clinical and the precision football that they have played over the years uh, it really won me over. Like you know, it's a bit different from what you watch in the English Premier League. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, so it was um, an appeal to me, lah. And that is also one thing that I did uh, study very hard and apply in uh, my teams when I when I ran uh, Project Vaults and all that. Okay, that's cool. Yeah. Uh, Jürgen Klinsmann is my favorite uh, German player as well, all-time favorite German mm-hmm. player. And uh, yeah. I think in that tournament you had Matthias Semmer, a great tournament, right? Yeah. He, Yep, yep, yep. So in the 90s, of course, Germany won the World Cup in 1990 and then this one, European Championships in 1996. So it was a great generation of German players. What was what was it about this generation that made them great? I mean, in, in World Cup 1990, was the last year they played as uh, West Germany, you know. And then part of the reunification, uh, they have since played under one Germany since. And the talent pool they had was a result of the fall of the Berlin Wall. Uh, and... Uh, and they had a larger talent pool than before. So having said that, they also had a great manager in uh, Bertie Vox who managed uh, great names in uh, world football at that time. And uh, he was basically, prior to that, assisting Frank Beckenbauer for West Germany. So the, su- the succession was a bit seamless. So they had a formula for success and had the talent to go along with it, lah, with, with the, the combination of uh, East and West Germany. Mm. And Bertie yeah. Vox was also a former World Cup winner, right? 1974? Yes, right, right. Yeah, so after all this success is spoke about, Germany started dipping from 98 to 2004, with the exception of 2002. 
They then started picking up again in 2006, but with a different style of football to the teams in the 1990s. Share with us the difference between the teams in both decades. I mean, I like I told you, I, I studied quite a bit of uh, uh, German football to come to this yeah. conclusion. So to me, it all boils down to this particular man by the name of uh, Dietrich Weiss. You know, after the success of the Euro finals where they won in England, um, he actually in somewhere around, I think, August that year, he said um, the DFB president, Dan Braun, and said that, you know, they need to work on the youth development because after the reunification, you know, the talent pool, they had good players, but the, the pipeline was not cons- constant, right? So they, they were only concerned about the youth national team and, and, and not really the, uh, what do you call it, regional G-G-G. teams and all that, yeah. yeah. Uh, so then, the, back then, the, the, the youth development was more on the regional federations and the clubs, not really on the FA level. So, uh, Vox had the idea to install uh, one German FA coach inside every regional federation uh, to conduct additional sessions and to make sure that you know, they, they follow the blueprint of uh, German football. So, uh, Weiss was at the time the manager of Liechtenstein and um, the FA president instructed him to come up with a viable blueprint for German football. So, basically, what, what was said was Braun... Uh, visited Wise and said, we are, be- we are bidding for the World Cup in 2006 and uh, we need to have a strong competitive team in place uh, just in case if we win the vote. So with that uh, statement to, to Wise, everything else was history. Lah, you know, with a new blueprint, they improved the infrastructure, they improved the coaches' education and they had a new breed of German footballs born with that. And uh, with a new philosophy instilled, the results was for us, for all of us to see lah, what we see German football is today. Oh, that that is it. We didn't know the, we didn't know about this. You know, thanks a lot for sharing, Darwin. Thanks, oh, Darwin. Yeah. Open up my mind today, man. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because from the outside, when you're looking in, I would see okay, '98. They had almost the same players that they, they had in '96. Yeah. Then they were already aging. Yeah. And once, uh, you know, so then they got knocked out in quarterfinals of that World Cup. Went to the 2000 Euro 2000. It got knocked out in the group stage. Yeah. 2002, I think they overperformed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, yeah. you see, I mean, it's 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 uh current with what we are facing here also in Singapore, right? So all Europe, great European teams that we we've, we've seen, whether it be the Belgians uh, of the past few years mm-hmm. or the French team and all that, there are one point of time where you really need to relook at your your youth development. You know where the pipeline of players gonna come from what's happening and how many players can we depend on in the years to come. So I think the Germans identified it early. And uh, what I also didn't mention was uh, they became more inclusive. They look at players who were, mm. were half Germans, basically the, the Turkish-born Germans and the Armenian-born Germans and mm. include them into the national team. So that, that actually uh, broadened the playing base and the talent base of, of, of the game. Oh, yeah. That's true. That's true. Because uh, like the French, we know what they did as well with the yep. foreign-born players. They include them in the in the Clairefontaine yeah. Academy. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Correct. That's right. So yeah, that's it. You know, that's it on for the retro section, the section where you talk about Darwin, the football fan. I guess Jürgen Klinsmann is your all-time favorite German player. Then. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. So he he's uh, the kind of uh, typical fox in a box, you know. Every yeah. half chance you give him, the ball is in the net. 
Yes. And it's such a joy to watch uh, seeing his movement off the ball, getting into right positions and it's so hard to mark him, you know, uh, yeah. with the way with the way he moved away from his marker. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, correct. True. And he had that, you know, blonde hair as well, long blonde hair. <laughs> And, uh, I remember when he was at Tottenham, he celebrated with a dive. Yeah, exactly. Mocking at the <laughs> journalist who said he was always diving. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. So I think he was a great player. He was great. I think my favorite German player. So thanks a lot for sharing your memories, Darwin. We brought, my pleasure. We bring to the end section one now. In section two, we have Kelvin talking to you about present times. Welcome back, welcome back. We have the Don here with us, um, you know, really sharing his uh, insights on the German football and also, um, you know, United in 92, Eric Cantona. Oh man, what a player he was, man. What a player he was. Ras putting his collar up already. In, uh, in, uh, <laughs> oh man, I, I didn't... Uh, I was too young uh, to watch Eric Cantona. I appreciate his his way of playing, but I managed to watch some YouTube videos growing up. Uh, my first game it was the 1999 uh, semi-finals against Juventus. Um, that was my first game. I saw Paul Scholes play, and then from that day onwards, he was my favorite player um, all throughout. Uh, so coming down to the present, um, Darwin, man, coming down to United this season, what great expectation we had earlier the season leads. Trashing, Ronaldo coming back. We had Baran, Jaden Sancho. Where shall we start with them? What were your thoughts on them? I think um, it was a lot of expectation and it's a lot to ask from Ole. So, uh, basically to me, uh, to be a United fan is different today because a lot of a lot of the fans today became fans when United was in their glory days. Mm. So I feel that, you know, a lot of the general fans out there, they are really greedy for success and many of them uh, make comparison to, to time under Sir Alex, you know. And of course, we all know if, I mean, for, for us and myself, we come from a time where the club was not doing well, not doing very well and we had, we had pockets of time where, where the club did not dominate English football, right? Yeah. So, To be honest, not many people can emulate his success that what he have done, right? Um, thus, the heavy weight that was brought on Ole's shoulder to bring back uh, the glory days and especially with the arrival of Ronaldo, a lot of expectations and all that is very hard, okay? So, for me, um, in, in my view, United setup alone is a problem, right? Uh, it's not uh, just based on Ole alone. In my, in my view, the technical setup in, in United backroom Uh, pose a little bit of problem for us because you, Ole is a manager that have not been really tested at the highest level, right? So in order for someone of that, I mean, he was basically more of the legend status. You bring him back to the club, win the fans over. So the feel good factor. Yeah, feel good factor. So he needs to be assisted by really experienced people. I feel right. So being having Michael Carrick and uh, Kieran McKenna, not really the best experienced people in the industry, and even Uh, although they have Mike Phelan, but the point is that um, he had a good experience under Sir Alex, and of course, he had, but he has been away from the club from 2013 to 2018. In five years, many things change. The quality of players, the overall gameplay, you know, and um, I feel that 
on on my own personal uh, thought is Mike Phelan is a good uh, player man- management uh, coach, right? He can manage players. You give him man all manager. the stars. Yeah, man, his man management skills is is um, is excellent. But tactically on the field, I'm not too sure. With today's mm. football, you know whether how how his experience is relevant to to counter the likes of Man City, uh, Chelsea, and even right now you look at uh, West Ham flying high. You know it's not it's not an easy yeah. team to beat. Yeah, so I'm not sure and whether he's is the one leading them. Exactly, so the irony, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I'm not too sure if if Mike Phelan is the the right senior figure uh, in the backroom staff to lead uh, uh, Ole's team, right? So and of course um, the quality of players. Uh, I feel that the, there's no right combination of players to play, and whenever I mean, in in even in real life football, in in, in my view, if my player make a mistake and doing it the same week in week out, I will bench the player. But yeah. you know, <laughs> in in United, you know, it doesn't seem to be the case. You you seen a lot of errors from Fred, a lot of errors from Maguire, and of course, like every other sport, if you have a captain who makes mistake, yeah. then you won't be able to lead because people always hinge on your leadership, right? So 100%. if you are not able to lead with minimal mistakes and make the best of yourself, then it's very difficult to get the best out of your teammates. Okay, I got to slide in one one question. I know we, we didn't agree on this, but yeah. just because it's the latest development, uh, Ole got got sacked, got the sacked uh, earlier today or, or yesterday. Yeah. Um. So he is gone, but they kept the backroom staff. So I don't know, man. What's going on? But what do you feel? Who should come in next? Uh. uh what, what do you reckon? I mean, even the the. You know for the fact that the, the best managers always have their suite of uh, support team, right? So if you are going to bring in somebody uh, on his own and then expect them to work with whoever you have, then you won't get uh, instant success, right? So it's going to be more like a mentor figure where you come in and you, you, you are helping these younger coaches to learn. So having said that, then the, the message to the United fans have to be very clear that the club is in transition not expecting results immediately and with that, uh, giving the younger coaches room to grow. But I think what we really need now at United is a feel-good factor. We need to have wins, mm. la, you know, in, in whichever form, whether uh, this week in the Champions League winning the group stage and, uh, I mean, winning the, the, the game and qualify the group stage or whatever. They, they just need something, a, a feel-good factor, la, turn of events, yeah. yeah. So, 100%. It's very tough whoever you bring in and you don't allow him to bring his own team yeah. to achieve what he did before in his previous employment. 100%. 100%. Yeah. Well, you know, I watched this interview today and, uh, you know, it was pretty, it was pretty sad. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, seeing was, him like that, you know, he's a very he jolly very, guy. Yeah, he was very emotional towards the end, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Was, so, it's, uh, it was very strange uh, seeing him like this. But, you know what? Hey, that's life. If you, you had a top club, you gotta, you gotta be, you gotta be on the ball. Um, so, would you say, um, Don? Would you say their lack of success after Fergie was just down to their top management and how they have? Like you mentioned is the technical side of the game or technical team, um, but would would you say is based on the top management and how they are running the club? I mean, that's how. I mean, for me, is what you define success. We might not have success or trophies, but I think United as a club has got a lot of success in the past few years in commercial perspective, right? <laughs> yeah, so um, I think no other club has has garnered such uh, financial gains over the years. Lah. And to me, in, in going back into football uh, success, I think what lacked in the other managers after uh, Sir Alex was basically goes down a lot to youth development, you know? 
the the board has to really buy in that you know you can we are united we can't be like real madrid or or uh, barcelona where you buy players and even barcelona have their own uh, talent PSG, previously right yeah PSG. like psg or or man city, man city for that matter yeah so um over the years like you see very prominent class of 92 and then later on you still have got your rashford and everybody else but that didn't come through just like that right and the same yeah. like what we quoted and spoken about in germany in in 2006 you know a, a, a constant breed of young players have to come through the ranks and that will make the the base of a successful team and then whoever you bring in in terms of the the star signings and all that will just fit in well and and play because your you are, they don't come in to change the play but they come in to make the play more lucrative yeah make sense yeah Do you think I don't know? Like everybody is saying, talking so much about Ronaldo, he's getting the goals, but is he the one for us now, leading the the club into the future? Or what's happening? I think I've I've got a lot of conversation with people about Ronaldo. What I think we we fail to understand is this: Ronaldo is no longer the same Ronaldo as before. Yeah. So for us to play build up play and expect him to break through the lines with speed is not going to happen. So mm-hmm. what what happened in the past uh, few games if you look at United was this they had great possession outside the box in the final third but they were clueless of what to do with the final touch, right? So for Ronaldo is very straightforward play. You get the wingers to cross the ball, he's going to be there. Uh, yeah. You look at the last game even though we lost four one to to Watford. The couple of uh, crosses that come from the right, he Sancho, he was there. You know, whether offside or one that was over the bar, but that is Ronaldo for you. You have to supply him the ball, and you can't expect him to work the ball into the box. It's not going to happen, right? So, you, if the supply is constant and there's creative play coming from midfield, I think Ronaldo is a very important asset in the box for us. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Very effective, yeah, yeah. Very effective, but that guy, man. I mean, win, lose or draw, it's such a joy seeing him play for our team again. Exactly. Uh, that's, that's why I believe. Okay, Don, back to the local scene now. Um, no, I, I, I have you on my Facebook. I see a lot of your pictures all the time. Um, Vice Chairman at Ballester Khalsa. I love your team name, by the way. Uh, <laughs> it's a very symbolic name, you know, for us. Uh, you know, in, um, yeah, six in Singapore. So tell me about your experience there as a vice chairman in Ballester Khalsa. I've seen a lot of fun pictures, a lot of initiative you have started. Just if you can share your experience there with me. Basically, I I, I joined them in December 2017, preparing for the 2018 season. Lah. So I came in as a vice chairman as well as a team manager for the team. So I've got some experience uh, running successful amateur teams like my PV team, you know, Crescent, you know, at the lower level we won. And um, it was a natural succession for me to take up the role because it's one step up. And um, and many people misunderstood the role I play at the club. Lah. Basically, I'm a volunteer. You know, I'm not paid. So many people think, well, Malaysia pay me very good money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. See, exactly what I said. A lot of people think, <laughs> have that perception that it's a paid job. So, I'm here as a volunteer but I spend a lot of time at the club on a daily basis. Um, it was first... Tough to fit in because the club, of course, had culture, history, and all that. You know, uh, Balestier uh, was one of the oldest club in Asia, uh, having uh, originated from Fatu Karib, then Balestier United, and now Balestier Kalsa. Um, so the first two years, I, I spent a lot of time on commercial and marketing side of things, where I bring my experience in the corporate world on the table and and try to to bring in partners. So that's where I started to work with. Uh, all the brands that we have today, like the, like the Jeep, the Western, and Adidas, and all that. So that that took a couple of years to to build, lah. You know, and then um, of course, off the field, we have transformed the club. 
uh, and now it's a known brand in the local scene. Although our our results uh, on the field have not been great, but of course that is also part of a transition. And uh, this year, with the change in in the coaching staff and all that, uh, we are in motion for the next part of of the club's revamp, lah. Yeah. So yeah, and majorly, I felt that um, the like you said, the symbolic name to the of the club uh, lost its touch with the roots since uh, um, you know uh, prior to this, where we had um, the Sikh community behind us, and of course uh, led by 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 uh, prominent names in the Sikh community, you know. So that's where I started working in uh, this off season to work back with the community groups. The Bangra groups, the the fan base. So next year, the Sikh community will be behind the club. Uh, they are forming uh, support groups at game days, and we're gonna have uh, very uh, Sikh-like performances with the Bangras, with the dancers, and all that on on uh, game day halftime show. Yeah. <laughs> so, so the whole idea was to bring color, vibrancy, and yeah. and and noise to to the stadium, lah. You know. And of course, right now, uh, I'm sure, like uh, Rasvinder, no, uh, the other non-sick person that has got more sick friends than anyone else in Singapore will be me, lah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, correct. Yes, I can testify to that. <laughs> oh man! But really, really, um, you know, it's. I think it's it's great what you said. You know, I think it's always ideal to go down to the grassroots uh, level. You know, to get everybody involved again, and um, you know, and start up from there. So what can what can the, the fans of the Singapore Premier League, other than this vibrant um, grassroots or initiative you're going to start, what what things can they look forward to next season from your team? So any exciting signings, any anything we can know about? So basically, um, uh, it's been a major major change at the club eh, from the from the office to the to the technical staff to the players. I think this is one of the um, biggest hard restart Blaster Kalsa have had uh, letting go almost every of our experienced senior players yeah. um, and you know we even worked on um, renovation on the secretariat and um, bring in Akbar Nawaz which is a strong statement of intent from the club to revamp the kind of football that we play so for me I, I am a, a person who who likes uh, playing on the ground fast moving football uh, so, the appointment of my technical staff from the head coach to the assistant coaches and all that is helping me to realize uh, this dream and of wanting to play attractive, uh, fast-paced football. So, in terms of players, um, what we've recruited are young but unne- not not necessarily inexperienced. They have been around in the league for at least five six years. People like Darren Tay, uh, even one of your community uh, person, Delwinder. You know, oh, these Delwinder are names. Was, yeah. Right. So these are names where, where, where we brought in. These players have always been on the fringe of like national team and all that. They were uh, one cap, two cap players kind of. Uh, so I think they have a lot more to offer. Uh, we are going into the league with a very, very reasonably uh, young but experienced squad with the average age of 23.8. Um, which young. I think, yeah, which I think is going to resonate well because like say, for example, the, the oldest player we have in our team is Delwinder, you know. Everyone oh. else is 24, 25, you know. Oh. And we have more full-time players now compared to before where we rely a lot on uh, youth, on students and all that. So we have students still, but these students are more full-time, right? So, and typical 
away from the normal SPL training or what people would think uh, SPL sessions are like. We have introduced classroom sessions to make them understand the technical aspects of the game, how we want to play. So we even uh, do mock videos for them uh, uh, one day before the training for them to understand what they'll be doing the next day. And also a lot of players, we're getting a two-way response. A lot of players are also questioning and asking how they can do things better, whether this will work if they try something else, you know, this kind of stuff. Which to me, I'm personally excited because I've not experienced local football in, in this sense where the level of uh, proactiveness and engagement is very strong between technical staff and players. It's crazy. Would you say Lion City Football Club is now your, it's now your benchmark for, for all Singaporeans' team? I, I wouldn't say. They, I mean, it's different. They are, they are, they are fighting with, with, with good money uh, in, in their coffers, you know. For us, mm-hmm. it's, it's not about the money, but forming what a football club should be like with whatever we can afford within our means. And uh, like never like before, Blaster have, have strategized our, our signings, our budget very well. If, if you notice on social media, we became the first club to, to reveal contract figures for, for players. Yeah. 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 So that, yeah, that created a lot of talking point, you know. Uh, of course, you have haters. Somebody will say, you know, oh, play this much, not worthy to play professional football. But that's the reality. That's how much money there is in the game, you know. Um, and we are... We are daring enough to put it up front because we want to debut that, that mindset that Balestier pays badly. And yeah. uh, we also want to rebut the mindset that um, there is actually decent money in the game. It is just that, um, to me, I always feel that we, I will pay something for what it's worth. I will not pay something over, over the, 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 the actual value price. of the player. Yeah. So basically what we have offered players and what we have revealed in terms of their contract just to make it very clear you know some people uh, are, are debating saying <laughs> you that, you know, out there, yeah, you know, they are saying no including bonus and all that no yeah. this is their basic deal basically yeah. basic plus yeah I mean it's, it's their basic pay bonuses yeah. we, we can't put a figure to it because it all depends yeah. on on what we offer at which stage of the station uh, yeah. of the season you see so for those people who, who are in doubt I, I would Urge them to listen to this uh, recording. Wow, uh, yeah, this so is, this is a great one, man. This is a, yeah. I can't wait for next season. Are we going to get like special like uh, uh, tickets as well? Back pass. That, we can come anytime, over. any moment, any anytime, any game. Yeah, this is, this just is reach fun. out to me. Yeah, this is fun. This is fun. This is fun. Hey, I I'll be I'll be honest. I haven't really watched uh, Singapore football for the longest time. I did catch here and there. You know, um, I did catch the last game, Lion City versus Ballester. But what I did catch was your eSports team. Mm. So I just want to congratulate you for winning the ESPL tournament. Thank you. I watched your two guys, uh, you know, um, they played really well. And I was, uh, I, was, uh, I was actually watching for fun. I ended up just sitting there and just watching it throughout. And uh, I found it really entertaining. So talk to me. What, what, what do you feel? What's happening in the eSports space in Singapore? I mean... ESPL is, I think, is the second edition. Uh, uh, the first one, uh, I believe, won by Tempenis, was it? Uh, Joel Chu played for them and all that. Um, yeah, I mean, esports has become a, a very uh, big 100%. thing, right? So, yes. what happened is, um, we are the first club, actually, to have a, a full-time esports team. Not, not full-time, as in, uh, as in um, they compete on a weekly basis on, yeah. uh, on three different facades. One is the... Pro club 11 versus 11. So basically, mm-hmm. that particular squad, we've got 18 players uh, which trains and plays every Thursday. They train uh, prior to that over the weekend or on the Mondays. Wow. Uh, it's basically 11, 18 players playing 
different position and like just like a normal uh, football game, you know, you got 11 yeah. players playing. So you've got a lot of coordination. You only control one particular character in the game. So, okay, uh, wow. yeah. So that is a, a new trend now with the pro clubs. And of course, um, we've got our 2v2 and uh, 1v1, which will be playing in the FIFA E-Nations Cup. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, for FIFA E-Nations, we just qualified the pre-qualifiers. Uh, we won all our games in the pre-qualifiers. And now we will go into the next, uh, the qualifying uh, round. So that you're playing against the clubs with the likes of Man City, Barcelona, and all the major clubs in the world. So I feel that, you know, we are with Akil and, and uh, uh, Ricky winning the yeah. ESPL, it resonates well and, and, and um, really, Represent, put, no? yeah, really put the messaging of eSport out there very strongly. Well, I was, I was so mind blown when I saw it because I was, uh, I was uh, very much into eSports and uh, it was my first time coming across uh, ESPL. I was really blown away by it. But really, congratulations! I hope um, you you keep on growing this esports space because, like you said, right? It's a, it's a great uh, platform for you know the up and coming players. I think this might be the future as well. You never know. Yeah. Um, so, are you other than esports? Couple of good signings. Um, you know, growing the grassroots. Are you working on anything else which is like fun right now at Ballistic Alsa? What is your next project? So basically, the first one was the the FIFA Nations thing, like, You know, that was yeah. um, something quite quite fun. Uh, this has actually put us on the same uh, platform as players. I mean, esport players uh, from all over the world: Man City, Barcelona, Schalke, Leipzig, yeah. Melbourne City, Roma. Name it. There's a lot of uh, football clubs in the world today. They have their own esport team, and they are also grooming them with a strong lineup of players. 100%. Gonna, yeah. So this, this will go into the World Championships uh, for, for the E-Nations. And it's just like a, a World Cup, you know, for, for, for E-Nations. So that, what, that is one fun activation that I'm doing with Balestia. The other one is um, we revamp our social media uh, okay. this um, November. So basically, we are doing a lot more content now. Uh, we will be launching the uh, BKFC TV soon where we put oh. all our videos and uh, behind oh. the scenes, more interviews. If you, even you catch recently, we did uh, the, the questions um, segment with Akbar, you know, with fans asking him questions and he replying yes. them on a video and all that. So I feel that we want to elevate the social media works um, to be on par with global football clubs and, and give our partners that we are working with uh, real good mileage from, from this content. And of course, uh, making this content more appealing and savvy for the younger generation. Amazing. I think with social media is the only way you can go and reach out um, to what you say, the younger generation and get them involved and uh, get them excited over your, your team, Ballistic Halsa. Yeah, I mean, uh, having, having said that, I just have to add in one point. When I first came to the club, it was a <laughs> shock to me because I have, get, I have had a handful of fans really... Uh, less than 10 fans uh, oh. in the stadium and majority of them are 40 and above. You know, <laughs> it is like really very uh, solemn kind of football match to watch with, with this kind of support. But over the past, uh, 2020 was a closed door. 2021, when, when we opened our doors back to, to fans, we've got so many young fans below the age of 25 coming wow. to the game. So this um, is credited to two things. One is um, our involvement in esports where we are getting traction from the younger uh, pool of, uh, of uh, e- football avids. And the other one is, of course, our merchandising and all that, where we reach out to, to do 
the pride campaign and all that and to become more more inclusive yeah. to inclusive. all segment of uh, the community so that translated to younger and more vibrant fan base that we have today fantastic man don i wish you all the best this is really really uh, you see you got me smiling now you know i'm so <laughs> excited for what's going to happen next season i can't wait to watch you guys uh, on the field and also follow you very closely on social media okay you should go down to the stadium Huh? Yeah, Sorry? you should. You should go down to the stadium. Actually, don't. Actually, you Especially don't. Especially since he said there's Pangra, we're gonna go down. <laughs> you, just, you just get Ras to just come down and do a performance for you. you should be fine. <laughs> anyways, anyways, okay. More, more of a, a serious matter right now. I heard that. I understand that you are council member at the FAS. Tell me more about your role. So this year, like a couple of months, I've never heard of the FAS, and then suddenly, <laughs> and then the news were all coming out about the FAS. So tell me about your role there. What do you do for the FAS? Uh, I'm into my second term. Uh, my first term was uh, 2017 to 2001. Uh, we had re-election earlier this year in April. So this is the second second term that I'm serving. So being a council member is not like what people think. You know, everything, all the decision goes through <laughs> us. Right, so we all serve in various uh, committees. Like for myself, I am basically serving in facilities, security, special needs, and disability football, and I'm also assisting the uh, business development committee in FAS. Um, we don't get involved in every uh, decision making. That is uh, the secretariat, and basically the general secretary and the, and and his team that makes uh, the day to day. Uh, operational decisions for us is more of the the broader picture of football, like the annual budget, approval for programs, uh, forward uh, planning for for the various aspects of the game. So it's not very much like what people think, you know, like a normal small boardroom where every day, day to day questions are being thrown in, and we are supposed to be uh, answerable to all of, all of that, lah. You know, all of us uh, have our own jobs, so it's it's not something so easy. But um, I think it's been it's been uh, quite a fruitful time for me. I'm able to contribute at a level where I previously was one of those who made noise against FAS, you know. So, so today <laughs> I all making noise at them. So now that I'm here, I realize that things are not as easy. Uh, there's really not enough money in the game, and uh, there's not enough um, commercial support towards uh, Singapore football and I think those are angles that we need to constantly work on and change and I think what 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 best to do that is to like what I mentioned I'm doing for for Ballester Kalsa is to change the perception reach out to the right target group because these are the, the future supporters of the game 100% um, strange you talk about the budget because I've been told that uh, correct me if I'm wrong but I've been told that uh, Soccer has the or football has a large, uh, the biggest proportion of the sports pie. They call it the budget pie. Football has the biggest, there's the largest proportion. So, would you say it's not enough? Or I mean, yes. Uh, football being having the largest pie, not forgetting football is the largest number of uh, participants as a sport in Singapore. So that translates to the higher budget, and we are the only professional sport in Singapore. Right, we are paying players full time. Of course, he has to be the largest. If not, something is wrong with 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 the way we uh, appropriate the funds, right? So, yeah, having having said all this, um, in comparison to what we you all know now, like how players are getting and compared it to Europe and all that, it is still very little, right? So, having the biggest budget but yet being paid so little, then the the, the balance is just not there because forever, you know, players will keep comparing themselves to to. 
the global community uh, how much they are earning what are the kind of uh, exposure they're getting and all that and of course in everything that we do as Singaporeans we want to be the best uh, having that in Singapore it's a bit tough because football is something which is really community based and you need a lot of facilities you need a lot of time being spent onto the game and the reality is as much as we want football to be better yeah. the priorities of Singaporean have not changed education is still the number one priority <laughs> right? 100% yeah. which is so, good which yeah, is good 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 we, we are producing people of the future but at the end yeah. of the day you know one particular job there are so many people fighting for it, right? Somebody have to play football, right? Yeah. 100%. So, yeah. And if we want, I would gladly do that. I would gladly play football <laughs> nowadays. Man. If we want to to make football a continuous, viable career for Singaporeans, mm-hmm. I think we really to need we need to look more in depth into the the development and also the facilities uh, that that surrounds the game. Well said. Well said, Don. Well said. Um, you know, we had uh, multiple guests. Uh, on Backpass, you know, ex-players, management, fans of the SPL, um, you know, who share what they actually felt about Singapore football. I always, like, ask them because I was very curious and I always wanted to know what they felt about Singapore football and how it can actually improve. Um, so now you being FAS council member, I want to hear your thoughts on the current situation of the Singapore football and uh, what is in the pipeline right now. I know you mentioned, like, you are doing something like, uh, you know, what you're doing with Barista Khalsa, you're going to do with FAS, but... What are the, probably the, the I mean, the listeners uh, for Backpass, they want to know as well, what is in the pipeline for you to improve? Okay, so basically, I, I just have to say out this disclaimer. Whatever I'm going to say now is in my own personal capacity and not a capacity of a council member. Huh? Okay, okay. Uh, so okay. basically, in my view, there are a few things. I have touched on some, some touch points earlier about how the game can improve. And I think um, we need to relook into the pillars and the strategies of... of uh, football as a whole you know we need to really seek uh, major drastic improvement in our youth development we really need to look at uh, the availability of uh, facilities uh, right now because it's I mean given that such a small square area island like Singapore we actually have a lot of football fields to go around I'm sure Russ knows you know from his days <laughs> organising amateur leagues uh, we actually yeah. do have a lot but it yeah. is just how these facilities being made accessible to people. Uh, on a typical Sunday, for example, uh, RAS have to go online and book so many fields, but there are other fields which are available and untouched, right? Yeah, so this yeah. was supposedly reserved for certain programs, but it's not being used, right? So today, uh, what I'm saying is the very first basis to even talk about development or improvement, we need to have fields to play on. So we need to look look at that on, on a better system on how these fields can be made available. Uh. And um, I also feel that we need more elite teams across all levels, whether be it professional or the semi-pro or even amateur leagues like, like what yeah. Russ used to organize. With a more uh, vibrant and um, rejuvenated football scene, we will have players coming up through the ranks in all aspects. Uh, there is not enough, um, how you say, teams to go around in SPL to have your COE and to have your youth team. So these other players who are not in that ecosystem, where do they play, right? Yeah. So if we provide more uh, amateur leagues and um, uh, different platforms for amateur leagues to, to thrive on, then I think you will also have some crossover. For my, for my, my case, Ras knows I, I played my very first um, uh, compet- not competitive called amateur football yeah. under his league. Yeah. yeah. So that was oh. like what? Back in 2011? 
Yeah. Yeah. So my my team actually came about from D to D, and then went on to to other leagues and amazing. And event, yeah. Eventually, we went on to be in uh, the island wide, winning it on on the first try. Division two, winning it on the first try. Then, unfortunately, because of COVID, we couldn't yeah. uh, take on the division one. But uh, what I'm saying is, if a team like mine that went a long way, and we had a lot of players along the way who played back then, even in D to D, today playing in SPL, right? Oh, wow. Uh, so we had uh, back then in D two D. I think in 2011, I had Wailun playing in the team, and now Wailun is playing with me in uh, Balestier Kalsa. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. So what I'm trying, what I'm trying to say is, if we provide more platforms of such, players will continue their development, and then and, and a progression and a progression, right? Right. Yeah, right. a pathway, a pathway. A pathway. Correct. So yeah. having having said that, more like even if you have so many, you have so much training session going on. Uh, the only one way for the players to 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 translate what they have learned in training is to play more games. Hundred percent. Yeah. So you need more games across. It doesn't need to be a formal league, or it, it just even if you play friendly games week in week out, it's a game. That's where you apply what you learn in training. But there's just simply not enough games here in Singapore. It's more training, so everybody is fighting for the training slot. But for games, it's really very minimal. You know. Um, yeah. And also the other thing is we need to look at a singular development structure, lah. You know. Currently, we have so many other parties who are who are doing development. You know, you've got the clubs, you've got your Active SG. Now you have the SFA. You have everybody, but you have the La Liga and Dortmund coming in now. <laughs> so that that again, you know, you're providing so many different um, avenues. Uh, avenues, and there's no uh, focus on one particular blueprint that we can work on together as one. Uh, I think that that is one thing which we really need to address. And um, of course, last of all is to have uh, an enhanced professional league with good career prospects, lah. As I mentioned earlier about the the pay and all that, and I think with that, um, it's very important for the clubs to start to commercialize. Uh, when I mean co- commercialize, I don't mean the LCS privatization. What I mean by commercializing is the club have to think outside the box of not just depending on on like say for example jackpot income, seed or, money, yeah, seed money. They need to slowly. Garner their own uh, revenue. Like what 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 we are trying to do. I mean, it was it was a very long shot for us. It was very tough in a sense where we we were not able. Whatever we wanted to do in the first place. When I first came on board, we were on a Thai brand called Marwin. And then the following year, what I did was I did a, a fan competition. We get fans to design our jersey, and then the yeah. winning designs were selected and we produce it physically. So that particular year was a hit. We actually sold about almost 700 pieces of of uh, team wear, and that was a figure that Blessed had never seen before. You know, 700 pieces yeah. of jersey sold in a single season. So oh. l- later on, when we went on to uh, to Adidas, we had our challenges. You know, because the 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 market, the commercial market for Singapore is rather small. So nobody yeah, yeah. carried that many stocks. So even if you have the you have the ability to sell, the 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 kit makers are not able to support you with that. Right, yeah. so that's why we we didn't we went through Western and all that so that we can have the best because they they carry the most inventory and of course with the support of Adidas we will be able to to garner mm-hmm. better numbers in terms of uh, supply. So with that, I think that now for merchandising in Balestier has provided another revenue stream for the yeah. club. Yeah, so slowly we are we are moving away from jackpot and all the other. Um, Vice income that we have uh, in football, <laughs> you know, I, I still feel that you know the major, the major few things that we need to have is to have yeah. a proper clubhouse that offers good facilities for members, and with that, in the same clubhouse, we will need to have retail spaces to sell merchandise, uh, and also 
provide maybe even FMB and all that and provide a home for people to be proud to be part of a club to be part of the club yeah it's yeah. like a family club correct so like people in the yesteryears our parents days they will go and join the SEC the SRC and mm. the other country clubs right so today the young people of our generation we don't fancy all that but we yeah. wouldn't mind to be part of a football club where we can go there and hang out you know yes. and pay yes. a membership fee and then help help the club uh, and and I also still feel that um, the community uh, owned club would be a good model for the rest of the clubs uh, who are not like the, the Lion City Sailors kind of uh, direction even mm-hmm. like say even for for Blaster for that matter to get fans to buy in and own part of the club you know that would wow, be one amazing. interesting Uh, project that we are we are working on at the moment. That's the German model, right? That's yes, the German indeed. model. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So basically, um, in, in Germany, is a is a still like for example, majority shares still belong to the club, but the fans can buy up to forty nine percent or fifty one percent of the club, you know, and they have a lot of say. And I think like you know, at one period of time, JDT also wanted to do the same, getting engagement from from the fans and all that. And um, of course, people will have a lot of arguments saying that those are are big populated areas where you got good numbers in terms of support. But for us in Singapore, I think it's important that we are a part of our surrounding. Today in Singapore, we have lost their identity. Even as Singaporeans, we don't talk about football in uh, per se. We talk about our general sentiment. With this COVID, you know, our neighbors are also our enemy because we scared they got COVID. <laughs> we close the door, right? So we have lost the sense of identity of being a Singaporean. And I think football plays a very important role to bring everybody back. You know, hundred percent. Well said, man. Well said, Don. Well said. That was the that was the cherry on top of the cake, man. <laughs> you took it. You took it there. You took it there. Thanks All right, for sharing a lot, Don. Yeah, uh, thanks, man. Um, my pleasure. My pleasure. It's so not. It's not you. often that we get to 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 speak. You see, because of course we do not want to appear uh, controversial in our views in in public and all that. But in such forum like this, where everything is guided, I think it's good time to share and to understand the thoughts of of uh, in individuals in football, and not just you know being generic thinking that why everybody in FA is the same or you know everybody in football is the same. Like for me. If I don't go out today and tell you I'm a volunteer, people probably think before this I'm just doing everything for my own uh, benefit, right? Man, it's uh, wow! Well, when you told me you're a volunteer, it just blew my mind. I was like, wait a minute, what's going on here? I pay um, for my own parking at the stadium, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> wow, wow! But really, really, a lot of insights uh, to to the club and the FAS and really, really interesting. And but you, you got my word, man. You got my word. I'm coming to see you guys, man, next season. I'll looking be there. Forward. Uh, yeah, look forward to to having you. Um, so we are we are moving on to our trivia questions. And right. Russ, I'm having some technical issues on my side. If you can start the trivia question, that would be perfect. Uh, never mind. I think just go ahead with what you have. So I'm having. I couldn't. I can't bring up the questions. Oh, that's your problem. Okay, it's <laughs> the problem. All right, Nick let's is, go Nick then. So, gonna go. so we're going to go with some true or false questions, Darwin. The first is Manchester United were the first British team to win the European Cup, now known as the Champions League. Is that true or false? Cham- Champions League. Yeah, European Cup. When it was known as the European Cup. La. Oh, based on European Cup, I think true. Oh, it's false. The first oh, okay. team was Celtic. Ah, okay, okay. So Alex Ferguson wanted Roy Keane to be, to be Manchester United's number seven before David Beckham took it. True, true, correct. 
Eric Cantona Kung Fu kicked the fan during a game for Manchester United. Ah, so easy. <laughs> True. <laughs> okay. Manchester United legend Ryan Giggs spent time with Manchester City as a schoolboy footballer. I think it's true. Yeah. Yeah, right. The famous dab dance move was invented by Paul Pogba and Jesse Lingard. Dab? I don't think so, you know. Yeah. Correct. You're right. You're right. Yeah. I take that as false. Yes. Yeah, false. False. Okay, this is from our time. Uh, Manchester United once pulled out of the FA Cup in order to play in the Club World Cup. True. Yeah. Uruguayan striker Diego Forlan did not score a single goal in two years at Manchester United. Oh, come on. Oh, I think it's true. No, false. Forlan, oh, Forlan, no, yeah, Forlan, false. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How can you forget? Two goals against Liverpool? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so next one. Irish golfer Rory McIlroy supports Manchester United in strengths with Alex Ferguson. True. Yeah. Alex Ferguson did not win the league with Manchester United until seventh season in charge. Seventh season, yes, true. Manchester United are the only British club to have won the Club World Cup. British club? Yeah. Club World Cup. Club World Cup. I think it's true. No, false. No, uh, false. After that, of course, our friends at Liverpool, they've won it. Oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) That was insignificant to me, that's why. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, exactly. That was a good one. That was a good one. Okay. okay, if we have one minute, I, I just loaded it up so I can I can take over now just for just the next minute. Okay, right. so now it's a, it's not a true or false. I'll give you some options, Don, mm-hmm. and then uh, you can take it from there. So okay. which team took on Man United in the battle of the buffet? Is it A, Liverpool, B, Arsenal, C, Man City, or D, Chelsea? So they took on United in what we call the battle of the buffet. Battle of the buffet? There was an incident where, you know, everybody was throwing the food at each other after the game. Uh, okay, I, I can't... 2004. I'll pass on this one. I cannot remember. No, no, you, got, you, got, you got a choice. A, Liverpool. B, Arsenal. C, Man City. D, Chelsea. Chelsea? No, it's Arsenal. Ah, Do you remember okay. Cesc Fabregas throwing the pizza at Alex Ferguson or something like that along those lines? Yeah. <laughs> that was the game where United beat uh, Arsenal to end their unbeaten run. Oh, okay, okay, okay. That's yeah. season. Okay, okay, okay. Yeah. So right, they right, call right, it right. the Battle yeah. of the Buffet. <laughs> okay. Okay. Who was Alex Ferguson's first signing as Manchester United manager? A. Massimo Tiabi. B. Viv Anderson. C. Steve Bruce. D. Sean Gota. Massimo Tiabi, Viv Anderson, Steve Bruce, or Sean Gota? Would it be Viv Anderson? Viv Anderson is absolutely yeah. right. So his first signing was actually Viv Anderson. I have completely no idea who the player is. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Former England international. Yeah, yeah, former England, yes. So what were what were George Best, Dennis Law, and Bobby Charlton referred to? Okay. A Backstreet Boys, <laughs> B One Direction, C Holy Trinity, or D Wu Tang Clan. Of course, see Holy Trinity. <laughs> if anyone who doesn't know this, then they won't be a menu fan. I think you'll be surprised. A lot of people might not know this, Darwin. <laughs> they probably call it the but the rest of the options was a giveaway, lah. <laughs> okay, who was the only player to win a gold, European Golden Boot while playing for Man United? A. Diego Forlan. B. Ruth Van Nistelrooy. C. Ronaldo or D. Cleberson. Wow. 
European Golden Boot. European Golden Boot. European Golden Boot. Folan, Van Nistelrooy, Ronaldo, Cleberson. I don't know why I put Cleberson there, but that's right. <laughs> <laughs> um, would it be Listroy? It was. It's actually Ronaldo. Ronaldo. Ah, okay, okay, okay. Ronaldo. I think it was 08. I think he. Oh, it should be. Yeah. Uh, okay. So in the 08 Champions League final, who was the only fellow who missed the penalty? A. West Brown. B. Vidic. C. Hargreaves. Or D. Ronaldo. Missing the penalty. Missing yeah. the penalty. He missed the penalty. That joker who gave us all a heart attack. The United player. West Brown, Vidic, Hargreaves or Ronaldo? West... Uh, was it Vidic? No, it was Ronaldo. Oh, Ronaldo. <laughs> huh? Okay. okay, okay. Right. okay. Um, before they became Man United, what was the club known as? A. Manchester Devils. B. Red Manchester Newtons. <laughs> C. Newton Heath. Or D. Newton Devils. Newton Heath. Absolutely right. Newton Heath. Okay, this is the last one. Yeah, You have to get this right. Yeah, Who is referred to as the king in Man United? The king. The king. Who is they referred can, to as... There can only be one king, right? There's only one king. King Eric. Lah. King Eric is the one. Eric Cantona. Yeah. I had baby... If you hear my options, Mike Phelan, Eric Cantona, Zlatan <laughs> Ibramovic, and Bebe. You remember... Zlatan is the devil. He's not like the king. <laughs> I got baby. So yeah, let's wrap up the question. Thank you. I'm sorry. Uh, you know, this uh, just having some technical difficulties. But I hope you enjoyed the questions. Yeah, no worries. And uh, that's it from me, Russ. Yeah, that's a wrap. Thanks a lot, Darwin. You spoke a lot at length with passion as well as usual. But I know you as and with great detail as well. You know, sharing a lot about your role at Ballistic Alsa, what your plans are about FES. A lot of light shine on it for people. So you know, whoever's listening in. I hope you are enlightened at the end of this episode. So it's a pleasure talking to you, Darwin. Thanks. Thank you, guys. Thanks for Thank having me on the show. Thank you, Darwin. Yep. Some pleasure. Uh, it's I look forward to having you next season when the season kicks off. My pleasure to be on the show. Yes. Thank you. Good night. Good night, right. guys. Good night, guys. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.